Welcome everyone. My name is Darren Snow and I am the senior pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Aurora, Illinois. And I am so glad that you are joining us for today's podcast of our weekly Sunday sermon. We want to welcome you to Crossroads this morning. Uh, my name is Darren. If I didn't say that, I'm a senior pastor here. For those of you that are watching us line, welcome to you. This is week now number four, if you can believe it, week number four of our series entitled Home for Christmas. And uh, as always, I'm going to ask you to turn or tap in Scripture. This week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, while you are turning to Matthew chapter 1, something really, really important is happening next week, and that is our Christmas Eve series. So we want to remind you that Christmas Eve services will be happening on Sunday morning, regular times, 8.30, and Crossroads in Espanol at 11.30 is going to be absolutely uh, awesome. So the question I have for you, who do you know that does not know Jesus? or does not have a home church. That's the person you should be reaching out to and saying, hey, we would love you to come to Christmas Eve service at Crossroads with us. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout-out to those that are watching us online. And you may not be aware of this. We literally have hundreds and hundreds of people that watch us every week online. So some of you onlineers, and we're glad that you're connecting with us, but some of you may be a little bit too comfortable sitting at home, just maybe a little bit. So I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, Come on out to Crossroads. Now, we also have, over the course of the last few years, we've had a lot of, of our onliners that watch us from all over the place. You'd be surprised. But those of you that are in the Chicagoland area, you may have been watching us for years, but you've never actually come. So an, online is great. There's a place for online, but there is nothing like actually being here. And I can tell you on Christmas Eve, when we light our candles and we start singing uh, Holy Night, you know, a silent night, excuse me, uh, it's, there's nothing like it. So we want to invite you onliners to come next week. Okay, so today we are going to talk about names. And names are interesting, aren't they? Some of us love our names, and some of us are thinking, Mom, Dad, what in the world were you thinking? Right? Some of us. Some of us have that way. So I, I took a, a leap of faith this week, and I typed into my browser, are you ready for this? Strange but true names. And you can only imagine what I found. Right, let me give you just a sampling of some of the names I've had. There was a couple somewhere, somewhere out there, had a beautiful bouncing little baby boy, and they took that little boy in their arms, and they looked at him, and they said, Oh, my goodness, the only name that we could name this little boy is Cyanide. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. Okay, then I, I saw another one, a, a bouncing beautiful little girl, beautiful, beautiful little girl. And that husband and wife, or whoever it may have been, looked down at that beautiful little girl and said, yeah, we got it, the perfect, perfect name. Let's name her Portabella. <laughs> now, Bella's a beautiful name. We have a Bella or two here in the show. Bella is great. But when you look down at your little girl and you think that she looks more like a mushroom than anything else, <laughs> and then, of course, it's on the Internet, so it must be true. I found this doozy. Are you ready? Now, I found this. Okay, believe it if you want. That, that's, what, that's what the internet said. Somebody looked down at their little child. I'm assuming it was a little girl. And they named her this. Tallulah does the hula from Hawaii. <laughs> now somebody was smoking something <laughs> before they named that child Tallulah does the hula from Hawaii. Okay? So let me give you just a little bit of useless Pastor Darren trivia. Are you ready? Uh, I've never told you all this. Okay, not like it's some big deal or anything. But I've got a little bit of a different middle name. It's not crazy like Tallulah does the hula or whatever it is, but my middle name, 
you don't know this okay i put it up here for you so you can see it my name given name is darren keen snow and i asked my mom one time mom where in the world did you get that she found it in a book somewhere she thought it was kind of cool so when i was growing up i always thought it was really kind of goofy and i was a little bit of embarrassed about it like who's a king what's a king i thought it was king i thought well king would be cool but i don't know about king what is king uh, but as I got older, I kind of thought it was, I was kind of cool. You know, I like mom, high five. You know, you gave me kind of a cool name. And so when Julie and I uh, had our girls, uh, our second daughter, her name is Lauren. Well, we stuck her with it, and her ne- given name is Lauren Keen Snow. All right. And then she grew up and got married. And uh, when she got married, she and her husband, Matt, when they have two daughters, two little granddaughters, uh, but they named our first granddaughter Joanna Keen Worst. So there you go, some useless trivia that you can forget as soon as you walk out. Now, why are we talking about names this morning? Because Jesus, or you thought about it or not, Jesus had many names. Right? Now, he had his given name, of course, which was Jesus, but he also had uh, multiple, I think I can use that word, multiple other names that were not his given name, but were based upon who he was, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Okay, one of the most well-known, matter of fact, I think Christopher, it was part of his Advent reading, I believe it was Christopher, uh, one of an example, and I could give you many, comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says this, many of you know it, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, excuse me, and his name shall be called, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Okay, so let's just some examples. Not his given name, but names by which he, the Messiah, would be known. Now, our text for today is going to include specifically Jesus' given name, but also one of those names that has not only a very deep theological meaning, but also one that for us as Christians, very personal, and I'm going to use this word, not only very personal, but as we will see, also very uh, experiential for us as Christians today. And we're going to find this in Matthew chapter 1. So if you haven't turned there yet, we're going to look at just three verses, Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23. Let me read it to you, and then we'll dig in. And she, Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, hold on to that word, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and here it is, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And again, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, for some of you, if you were here two weeks ago, those three verses should ring a bell because they were part of a larger text that we looked at two weeks ago when we were looking at uh, the story of Joseph. If you remember that part of the story, uh, uh, Joseph ends up uh, having a little chat with an angel. And uh, the angel is telling him that Mary, who he was betrothed to, if you remember the story from a couple of weeks ago, that she was pregnant, that she was going to have a son even though she was a virgin. They were, again, they were just betrothed. And as we looked at last week, you can only imagine just how much 
uh, old Joseph's head began to spin as he finds himself in this conversation with an angel, and the angel is telling him all of these things, but his head had hardly started to spin when the angel tells him two more things, two very specific things that had to do with the name of the child that Mary was going to birth. The first was his name would be Jesus, his given name would be Jesus, but the second thing that the angel says is that the child, while his given name would be Jesus, he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to look for just a few seconds at the name Jesus. So let's look at the name of Jesus, okay? That was his given name. You, you may know this, you may not be aware of this, but when you take that name Jesus in the original language, uh, you can translate it literally a couple different ways. One, it can be translated Yahweh saves. So Yahweh from the old Hebrew, Yahweh saves, or it can be translated uh, as the Lord is salvation. So Yahweh saves, the Lord is salvation. So when, when you look at that, you can see why God the Father was so specific in saying you will name that child Jesus. And there's a whole lot more there. You can go do that on your own. It's Christmas week. Do, you know, have some fun with it, and you can let me know what you find because we could do an entire message on the name of Jesus. But our focus this, gonna, uh, this morning is going to be on that second name, the one of the many names that Jesus would be known as because he was the Messiah, he was the Savior, he was the Son of God. And that name is Emmanuel. If you're spelling that, it's with an I, actually. I always want to spell it with an E. It's Emmanuel with an I. And that name is only found in Scripture three times. It's found here in Matthew chapter 1. We find it in Matthew chapter 8. And also, I think probably the most well-known place that we find it is in Isaiah 7.14. And this is what Matthew, as he was recording the chat that Joseph had with the angel, he is repeating this from Isaiah 7.14. Let me read it to you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this time of the year, you hear me say this all the time, you'll hear me say it yet again, and that is, as, as mind-blowing as this is, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus was the time of the prophet Isaiah. 700 years prior, Isaiah said that there would be a little boy, and he would be born of a virgin, and that he would be known, apart from his given name, but he would be known as Emmanuel, God with us. Now, saints, I want you to understand this. So there's a prophecy there about how he would be known. But when you look into this and you look deeper, what you find is that this was a prophecy even uh, above and beyond. But I'll say it this way. Not only above and beyond, but much deeper than simply the name Emmanuel. That this was a prophecy that would affect all followers of Jesus. And we have now seen uh, this fulfillment of prophecy in two specific ways that lead to two essential Christian doctrines, and that's what I want to walk through you with today. So the first fulfillment is from a physical perspective. For those of you who are taking notes, a physical perspective, and this leads to one of the most important Christian doctrines that are a part of our faith, and that is this, the doctrine of the Incarnation. Now, this is a theological word, the doctrine of the incarnation, that you probably only, usually you hear it around Christmas time. We'll talk about that. 
But I want us to be clear this morning, so I want to give you a definition. So can we put a definition up here, uh, if you would, Larry? So what is the incarnation? What does that $3 theological word mean? It simply means this. The eternal second person of the Trinity, that would be God the Son, became a human being and assumed flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. He was one divine person with both a divine and a human nature. Now, what all does that mean? Here's what that means. The incarnation tells us that God became, literally, God became a man. He literally became Emmanuel, God with us. So this is not uh, speech that, that is, oh, I don't know, symbolic or something, or it's a metaphor, and now whatever word you want. The incarnation says that God himself literally became a human being. And we find the incarnation multiple places in Scripture. Okay, let me give you two verses that both come from the book of John. You'll be familiar, some of you will be very familiar with these. So let's these put, uh, excuse me, let's put these up on the screen then, Larry. So John 1 and John 1.14 says this. In the beginning was the Word. See how Word is capitalized? That means Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was Jesus, second person of the Trinity, and Jesus was with God. Really important here. And the word Jesus was God. And the word Jesus became flesh and literally dwelt among us and we have seen first person and we have seen with our own eyes his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth so you will hear people say silly silly things about our faith and about scripture and you'll hear somebody say well the bible or jesus self never said that he was god that is absolutely insanity okay the Bible clearly says, Jesus himself clearly said that he was God. So we see this in Scripture. The doctrine, of, that's why I'm putting so much emphasis on it is really important that we understand Jesus was God. Now, this biblical and theological truth is important for multiple reasons. We, and, and, you know, Caleb or I could get up and we could give you multiple reasons why that's so important. But let me give you one of the, the most important, one of the primary reasons why this is so important is this. If Jesus was simply if Jesus was only a human being like you and I and not God himself, if he was a created being like you and me, then he would not be worthy of worship. You with me? If he's simply a human being. All right? Jay, I pick on you all the time. So if I get to know Jay, who's sitting down here, and I get to know Jay, and Jay's a great guy. And Jay says some really good things, some pithy things. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Jay's written a few books. Well, I can look at Jay and say, wow, Jay's a smart guy. Uh, Jay's a good guy. Jay's a funny guy. He's a family man. Uh, Jay's written some things that make a lot of sense. Oh, that's a, so I can even uh, ha hold Jay in high esteem. He's a great guy. But the one thing that I will never do, and Jay, I love you, the one thing I'll never do is I'm not going to worship Jay. Why? Because Jay is a human being just like me. You understand that? 
So if Jesus was just a smart guy that said some pithy, really smart kind of things and people wrote him down, if he's simply a human being, then he is not in any way, shape, form, or fashion worthy of our worship. And yet what we see multiple times in the Gospels is that people fell down and they worshiped Jesus and as importantly, Jesus accepted their worship. Hey. Eh? Why? Because he is God. He is, in fact, the God-man, man worthy of all of our worship. So that's one of the theological, really important principles of our faith. But I want us to go a little bit different, guys. I want to make sure that we were clear on that. But I want us to focus on a different, I used this word earlier, and I'm going to use it again, on a different, much more experiential truth that comes out of the incarnation. So stay with me, those who are taking notes, you can write some things down, okay? Because, because Jesus was truly and fully a real man, he truly and fully experienced life in the full as a human being. He was not immune to the realities of the human experience. So what I mean by that? Because he was fully God and yet fully a human being, he fully experienced the highs of being a man and the lows. He knew what it was to be on the mountaintop. He knew fully what it was to be in the lowest place of the valley. I think Jesus had a sense of humor and I think he laughed. We know that he laughed. We know that he cried. John eleven thirty five, 35, the most memorized uh, piece of scripture in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. He was so overcome with emotion when Lazarus died. You remember that? Jesus wept. He knew great victory. He knew personally incredible, incredible disappointment. He knew what it was to be the center of attention and everybody loved him. Here in just a few months, okay, uh, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we will celebrate Palm Sunday. Remember Palm Sunday? He comes riding into Jerusalem on that little donkey and he is the next best thing since sliced bread and they're yelling and they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the name of the Lord and it's all just really, really good. And then five days later, they've all left him, they've abandoned him and he's standing there by himself in front of Pilate and Herod. So he knew what it was to be the center of attention and he knew exactly what it was to be all alone and abandoned. He experienced the full range of human emotions. Why? Because he was fully a human being himself. Now, I want us to take this just a little step further. And I want us to ask ourselves... Well, how, how does this become experiential for us? We can know this as a biblical truth. It is true. Biblical theological truth. How is it experiential? Saints, so here's what I'm trying to get to. Jesus, God, the Trinity, is not some distant deity in the outermost parts of the cosmos. You should understand this now. He is here with us right here and right now. He is so close, and he is so personal. He is at the same time transcendent, 
beyond anything that we in our little human being might, he is beyond anything that we could ever begin to comprehend he is not only transcendent but it is also so close and so personal and so imminent personalize this he is with us in our highs and he's with us in our lows He's with us when we're on top of the mountain and life is as good as it can be and he is all with us in the bottom of the valley. He is with us in our victories. Oh, the sweet victories of life, but also in our disappointments and in our failures. I just thought about my simple life and you can all do the same thing. He rejoices with those who rejoice and he weeps with those he, who weeps and he understands this because he was fully a human being. So he rejoiced with me on July 23rd, 1988, 35 years ago when Julie and I said our dues. He was with me as I cried tears of joy when my daughters were born. And when my granddaughters were born. And he'll be with me when I cry tears of joy when my grandson comes next March. Whatever those mountaintop experiences are, he is there with us. But not only was he there with me when I cried tears of joy, but just as much and just as important, in some ways maybe even more important, he was with me when I cried tears of joy of sadness and a broken heart nine years ago when my 50 year old sister-in-law passed away from a heart, a heart attack just like that he was with me two years ago this last August when we lost my father see that's the God that we serve He's not just something out there in the middle of nowhere. He is here with us. He knows those emotions and he has experienced them firsthand because he is truly and literally Emmanuel. God with us. For some of you this morning, man, life is good. Praise God. Isn't it great when life is good and you're on the mountaintop and for whatever reason, you know, you're, if things are just good. You maybe got a couple extra shekels in your pocket. Maybe things are good between you and your spouse and your kids aren't driving you too crazy, you know, a job, all of those things. And you're up on the mountaintop and you're saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And if you're in that season, praise God. But I'm here to tell you that he is with you on the mountaintop, praising with you. But if you're not, but if you're not, he's with you as well. For those of you to hear this morning, and the, uh, the last thing you want to do is have Christmas because of whatever the circumstance in life may be. Broken relationships, a physical reality, financial reality where you're going to take a deep breath and try to figure some way to get some present for your kids 
marriage is on the rocks you're going to suck it up and you're going to go to whatever the family gathering is and you're going to grit your teeth all the way through it or for some you'll be alone this Christmas and your heart is broken because he or she will never be with you in person again. The God that we serve is with us in those moments and in those seasons of life. He is literally with us for a lifetime, truly the friend that is closer than a brother or a sister. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, no matter what your circumstance may be. He is, in the full sense of the word, Emmanuel. He is God with us. So that prophecy from Isaiah 700 years ago was fulfilled physically in Jesus of Nazareth when he came into this world. The second fulfillment, not from a physical perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. And this doctrine, again, essential doctrine, you may not be as familiar with as you are maybe uh, the incarnation, but this is what we call uh, the doctrine of the indwelling. The doctrine of the indwelling. Larry, let's put up that uh, definition. Very simple, but really important. Here's what the doctrine of the indwelling is. It is the reality. We don't think it. We don't hope it. It is the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So through the mystery of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All right? Uh, this is one of the great mysteries, but it's also one of the great realities, and it is one of the great truths of the Christian life. So for many of you, this is peas and carrots. You've heard this your entire life. You know this to be true, but I want to be clear as I can be. Right? Apart from Jesus, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You are lost spiritually. Right? You come to know Jesus. You put your faith, hope, and trust in him. You receive the gift of salvation that you do not deserve, that you could never earn and the wildest thing in all the world happens. And that is literally God himself, the third person of the, uh, of, the Trinity, of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit literally comes and indwells within you. Literally. I cannot stress this enough. God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within us. A lot of different places in Scripture I could give to give you a biblical underpinning of that. Let me give you two. First is from 1 John 4, 13. says this, By this we know that we, who are the we? Christians, that we abide in him. Who is him? Jesus. That we abide in him, and then don't miss it, and he, Jesus, he, God the Holy Spirit in us, because he has given us of his Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one more, John 15, 5. Many of you know this verse. Absolutely foundational and is a, a biblical underpinning of the doctrine of the indwelling. Jo, uh, Je, excuse me, Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you Christians, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
whoever, look at the word again, whoever abides in me and I, Jesus, I, God, the Holy Spirit, in him, he or she it is that bears much fruit. Okay, now again, this is peas and carrots for many of you. But if you're new to the faith, if you are examining the faith, first of all, we're really glad that you're here. But you have to understand this, that when you come to know Jesus, God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within you. Now, that's great and wonderful. Praise God. But again, how does this, Bill, how does this truth affect you? How is it experiential for Bill? Okay, among other things, let me give this to you. The Spirit indwelling within us is sanctifying us. Now, there's another $3 theological word we use around here a lot because it's really important. But sanct sanctifying us. Sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification simply means the process of becoming more like Jesus. The process of becoming fully the man, the woman of God that you were created to be. That is sanctification. When we come to know Jesus, that is salvation. That is an event. After we come to know Jesus, the spirit living within us, sanctification is a process that does not end this side of heaven. We are continually becoming more like Jesus. So stay with me. As he is living within us, as he is working in, with, and through us, as we open up our hearts, our minds, our lives to him, then we begin to grow from a couple of different perspectives. We begin to grow in grace and, dare I say it, yes, I dare, because it is biblical, we grow not only in grace but in holiness. And as we are growing in grace and holiness, what that leads to over the long haul, doesn't happen overnight, I wish it did, but over the long haul, what that leads to ultimately is authentic life change. Now, don't get me wrong. You're changed in an instant when the Holy Spirit comes and is indwelling within you. But sanctification is a process because we've got old ways, we've got old patterns, we've got old mindsets. And this is why Paul says, what is it, Romans 12, 1 and 2, about the, talks about the renewing of our mind. So stay with me, okay? He begins over time to change the way that we think. He begins over time to change the way that we feel. And then what naturally comes out of that is some really wild stuff. All of a sudden, we begin to do things that we have never done before. How many of you, let me say, how many of you, if there was a time in your life that somebody would have told you that you would come to church every time you can, and it wasn't because somebody made you or you were trying to make somebody happy, but you simply wanted to come? How many of you, there was a time, somebody would, they, you, would have, you would have looked at them like they had two heads? Some of you are lying. <laughs> you find your... That's not just you saying, well, I think I'm going to go to church. What is that? That is God the Holy Spirit prompting you, leading you, guiding you, directing you, and the next thing you know, you find yourself doing things that in a million years you never would have guessed that you would have done. Amen? Thank you. Amen. Somebody's brave enough to say amen. Now, on the other hand... Not only do you find the Spirit prompting you to do things that you never would have done before, Don, but on the other hand, and I think just as important, all of a sudden through the prompting of the Spirit, He begins to give you a check in your spirit, and you begin to refrain from doing things that maybe you have done for a lifetime. 
you've opened up that computer and you've looked at things that you know you should not be looking at and you've done it for days or months or in some case years but you open up that next time and all of a sudden there's a little check in your spirit and you say to yourself where did that come from that's growth that's spiritual growth that is sanctification and so you begin to make better different uh, God honoring choices some of which you can't figure out but you know it's the spirit leading you and he does so he begins to work in our lives again not from the outermost reaches of the cosmos but rather from his rightful place deep within you and for the work that God does in our lives we raise our hands and we worship him and we praise him and we sing glory, glory, glory in the highest. Because if you think that you're a different person now, a better person after having been a Christian because you began to wake up every day and said, you know, I'm going to be a more moral person today, you've lost your mind. We become the person that God is calling us to be when we open up our minds and our hearts and our lives. But let me tell you something. It is God the Holy Spirit that's doing all the heavy lifting. Now, what we're talking about today is one of the great truths and the great realities of the Christian life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But you cannot truly experience Jesus. You cannot truly experience um, the Spirit. You cannot truly experience Emmanuel, God not only being with us, but God being within us until you come to the place that you surrender your life, you open up your life, you completely surrender to Him. Until you come to that place of surrender, what we're doing now is just something that comes out of simple tradition. None of this happens until we are surrendered to Jesus. And through the power and leading of God the Holy Spirit as only He can do, when He begins to draw His own to himself and you put fully your faith your hope and trust in him when it's so much more than just knowing about Jesus but when you begin to know him fully personally he becomes Emmanuel God with us God within us and that is when he begins to change your life from the inside out from the top down he changes your life radically in ways that you never could have believed then it becomes much more than just something that we do at Christmas and Easter it becomes something much more than just tradition or habit it becomes real and he begins to change our lives in the most radical of ways I had somebody uh, send me uh, somebody I went to high school with uh, this week on Facebook and said Darren I haven't connected with you in Facebook in a long time been years and years and she said are, I, are you really a pastor and she put in there, you can see it on my Facebook page, she said, I knew you in high school. And I said, there's people in my church that can't believe I'm still a pastor. That's not Darren. Lord knows that's not Darren. That's God the Holy Spirit doing what only he can do. Okay? 
If you don't know Jesus, don't wait. If you don't know Jesus, don't wait till tomorrow or next week or next year or when it's more convenient or when life has settled down. Let today be the day of your salvation. How does it work? How, how does it work? It doesn't work by simply raising a hand. I understand why we raise hands sometimes. It doesn't work by saying a prayer, although I realize, you know, why we have people pray. All right? It comes by putting your faith in Christ alone. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 10, excuse me, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We believe, we receive, we confess by the faith that he gives to us, and he transforms our lives. And we praise him glory, glory in the highest. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing that beautiful song. Again, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, let today be the day. Put your faith, hope, and trust in Him and in Him alone. And I promise you, He will transform your life. He will change your life. Doesn't mean you'll have a perfect life. Let me make that clear. But He'll change and He'll transform you. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Your Word. I'm so thankful, God, for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, I'm so thankful for Christmas. I'm thankful for Jesus, Emmanuel. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are God with us. And, Lord, I pray right now for anybody that's in this room, for anybody that's watching us online, if they know all about you but they don't know you, oh, Lord God, do what only you can do. Draw your own to yourself. Draw them to yourself, oh, God. He or she, Lord, let them put their faith, hope, and trust in you. Lord, that they would receive the free gift of salvation. And, Lord, begin, as you redeem them, begin to change them. Oh God, different ways of thinking, different ways of talking, different ways of doing, uh, different habits, oh God, is our prayer. And we will be careful to give you and you alone all praise and all glory, glory in the highest. Thanks for joining us this week. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us again soon.